ears to good friends. Cheers. 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 Hmm. That's sort of an oaky afterbirth. What was that? She did tell me to uh, get a beer and some cheese fries over at Eskimo Joe's. That's very nice, lovely. I only hope you feel this way when I'm done. Because I could destroy this night in two seconds. Why is that funny? <laughs> well, I think it's a bit funny to be trying to define nothing. <laughs> Smooth as a bourbon on a summer day. Strong as a peated scotch in the winter night. This is a fair warning. The Catholic Man Show is about to begin. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. Welcome to the Catholic Command Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles in studio. Juan is back. It's great to have Juan back in studio. He is back into the States, made it back safely. We ask you guys to pray for him and his wife and family. We appreciate that. Prayers were answered. All is well. Family's doing well, Juan, yes? Muchas gracias. De nada, mucho gusto. Uh, we also have a... Uh, it's de nada mucho. Mi gusto. Mi gusto. Mi gusto. Yeah. Thank better. you for the correction. It's okay. It's just in charity. Just, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I just don't want you to look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have uh, a guest, Dr. Brian Song, with us today. Uh, Brian, it's great to have you. Thank you so much yeah, for hanging nice. out with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, you were on... Uh, a, a recent episode with Pat Flynn, who was on our show not too long ago, mm-hmm. uh, talking with Jimmy Aiken, a staff apologist at Catholic Answers, um, on this topic of lying. Yeah, right. And so I really enjoyed the, the conversation. Uh, I enjoyed, I've actually listened to a couple of your debates. I think it, it, they're all very uh, well done. Your demeanor in debates are very good. Like, I, I wish that I could hold that kind of demeanor in debates because I feel like <laughs> if I was in there, you pinpoint them, you get them back into a corner, and then they realize I have nowhere else to go. And then you back off. And then you just let, 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 let it happen. Like, let the, the audience connect the dots. Yeah. Instead of, like, driving the point home. Uh, which is that's the fun part for yeah. me, you know. Like, you take, They're ready for the kill, right? Yeah, go. yeah. Especially so, if you're debating a, an ideological enemy, yeah. You know, sure. uh-huh. if it's like pro-choice versus pro-life, you know, yeah, like yeah. you definitely want to like you want to see him like, yeah, destroy the guy. You know, it's like we're in the Roman Colosseum all of a sudden, you know. Thumbs down. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why those videos of like. Ben Shapiro destroys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facts fill in the blank. Yeah, <laughs> right. like that's why they get so many views uh-huh. because there's something in us that like wants to see the blood. You know, <laughs> yeah. even if it's intellectual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. So you did, you did great. So what, maybe a little bit of uh, background on who you are, where where you're at. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I uh, studied philosophy. I got my my PhD at Purdue in 2013. And uh, my research right now and, and for most of my career has been on moral knowledge and uh, natural law moral thinking. Um, so uh, lying is, is just a straightforward application of natural law. It's, it's a very easy topic on natural law. Uh, what d- gets complicated is that people don't like what natural law has to say. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's where the debates come in. Well, and 
I mean, I think it's easy until you, you get human aspect, human nature comes into play, right? Because sure. there's so many different situations that come. Like, it's easy to, to say, yes, here's the principle, apply the principle, but then you put human beings with different variables, and yeah. it, that makes it at least emotionally tougher to make those decisions. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, anytime that you're doing something or, you know, discussing a, an ideology that's going to hold people to account and call them... Yeah call them to harness their own desires right people aren't gonna like it yeah and you know that's the thing about natural law is there are moral absolutes and at least some of them are pretty clear and so you know the the rigor or the um the bright lines are, are pretty bright and pretty easy to see and in many ways that's an advantage of the theory we don't want a moral theory that lets us rationalize bad behavior right um but at the same time, it's, you know, sometimes we do kind of want at some other level a uh, moral theory that lets us rationalize bad behavior. And so it depends on if I want to do the bad yeah, behavior. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, if it's another person who's right. doing the bad behavior, we want no nice sir. bright lines. Yeah. You're, you bad person. Kill. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Can I have another bump of cocaine, please? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So last night you gave a talk here at Holy Family Cathedral uh, on this very topic, and, yeah. and last night afterwards, uh, a couple of us went out and had uh, a couple of drinks to talk further about it. Dr. Malosh, Dr. Henderson, Eli, and Deacon Garlic, and then us three were, were there. We were we were talking, and I came up with a scenario. Right. So uh, recently. We had new people move into it. To this wasn't a scenario. This is a story. Is it? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Is, Are you yeah. asserting this? Right. Exactly. Okay. So recently, I had uh, some neighbors move in. They had little kids, uh, which is perfect because as a dad, you, you realize giving your kids good friends is such a a, a blessing, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was really excited to have them there. They were Catholic, so it's like, boom! Mm. This is great. This is great news, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're out playing. Luke comes in. My oldest comes in after playing one day and says, "Dad." Where did I come from? Where am I from? <laughs> and like initially I was like, go talk to your mom. But no, no, that's not what I said. I, I decided like this is the opportunity. I've read John Paul II. We've gone through the theology of the body. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this moment. Like, let's roll up the sleeves. Like, let's sit down. <laughs> let's get let's get serious. Let's yeah. talk about this. So I set Luke down. We're, 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 I, got, I, I poured him a pop, you know, and which is a big treat. Let, let, let's, let, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. So I'm sitting there talking about it, and I'm, I'm telling you know when a man loves a woman, you give yourself completely over to them. The the man and wife become one, and their love is manifested. And I, I'm I'm starting to go through the theology of the body, and as I'm talking to him, I just see his eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger, and like this kind of like worried blank stare comes on his face, and like you know I'm thinking like well maybe I'm am I laying it on too thick? You know am I am I missing the mark here? <laughs> And, you know, so I finish up and I say, you know, uh, I ask him, I say, well, Luke, you know, do you, do you have any questions? And he stopped and kind of scratched his head and said, well, Dad, Johnny's from Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> and so I realized that's not the question that he was asking. Okay, so I said, I told that story. Uh-huh. I've told that story several times. This is actually a, a long story that has been going through the Niles family and my family. I, first time I heard it was Dave's dad. It's obviously a joke. It's obviously a joke. <laughs> uh, I've heard it from Dave's dad 20 times uh, uh-huh. throughout the years. And I started that joke off uh, as the MC of the Oklahoma Men's Conference, right? Uh-huh. 
I was pitching this idea, you know, as a, like when you tell a story, when you tell a joke, it's always good to, to tell it a couple times before you tell it sure. in, on the main, main, yeah. main stage. Uh-huh. So I was doing that at the chancery. Okay. I said, I told this joke, they all laughed. And then last night I told, I, I was, we were yeah. talking about this, this whole topic uh-huh. and I, I used this as an example, as a joke, like, okay, my intent was to, to make you believe this story was true <laughs> for and, a while. And then. Yeah, for a, short for, time. For, for a while. And as I said that, Deacon Garlic and I think Dr. Henderson said, wait, they said, wait, that wasn't a true story? <laughs> and I said, no. You're kidding? Yeah. And I said, no, that was, I, I, I started off with, this is a joke that we're going to, I'm going to tell. Yeah. And so then I felt terrible because uh, I realized that they thought I was, I, I did not make it clear that this was a, this was a joke. I think the word Clearly. betrayal was used. Yeah. Times. yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact yeah. Deacon Harrison said you were going to be down in the last circle of hell with right. the, <laughs> in the frozen yeah. tundra with Judas. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, where the betrayers are. Right. Yeah. So uh, obviously, that was a uh, that was a moment where I realized, okay, what is this? Yeah. Right. What What just happened? Mm-hmm. Is this a lie? Well, so. I guess I don't I don't know enough about the context to know. You, I, you know, <laughs> when we were debating whether or not you lied, uh, <laughs> it, at one point uh, it was said you you said this is the joke I'm going to start the the men's conference with, mm-hmm. and then everyone protested. Well, sometimes jokes can be real. Sometimes jokes can be just anecdotes. Right. And, uh, you're like, no, 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 no. Uh, so I guess it, it was ambiguous uh, whether it was a lie. Mm. Um, you know, it, I think that the theory of lying in, to, to get into the sort of broader natural law view is, uh, so natural law says that, uh, we're all naturally seeking happiness and, um, that happiness consists in the satisfaction of our natural appetites. So, um, what, what morality involves is properly seeking happiness, satisfying our natural appetites, using our natural powers towards their natural ends. Every power has a sort of built-in structure uh, where whereby it, it can achieve the end it's aimed at. And so, you know, there's there's lots of different examples we could use. Uh, the, the appetite of eating is for food. The appetite of communication, natural law says, is for conveying our mind or revealing our mind. And uh, revealing our mind is a really good thing. Um, now, in some sense, you revealed your mind by telling the joke, right? But right. the question is, did you assert or did you reveal uh, something that was at odds with your mind? And so there, you know, it really depends on the conventions. Uh, you know, the meanings of all of our words are conventional, and the meanings change over time. And I would say, in addition to the meanings of words changing over time, uh, another convention is what it means to assert something, what it means to, you know, convey something as though you judge it to be true. And so, you know, a lie is always going to involve uh, something that does not, something that uses that power of communication but does it against your mind and classically with assertion what that would mean is you're you're saying something you're asserting something and it's not something that you judge to be true so the question is did you satisfy the conventions for assertion or was it something ambiguous right and then obviously i should yes because i was too ambiguous because they still thought that that was a that was that really happened right it's a really funny moment yeah <laughs> i felt terrible but everybody else was laughing about it i felt great yeah <laughs> uh so we're here with dr brian b song this is the catholic mancho we're going to continue talking about is lying ever morally permissible we'll be right back
Mark Lozano over at Christ Center Capital is doing something absolutely crazy. We talked about it. He, he said, this is something I want to do. I said, okay, if that's what you want to do, let's move forward. Let's do it. 50 people, the next 50 people who sign up using promo code TCMS2022, that's TCMS2022 over at ChristCenterCapital.com gives an absolutely free subscription to Christ Center Capital. Christ Center Capital is a watchdog site for Judeo-Christian investors. So if you're looking to put your money in an ethical way and get sound advice from Mark Lozano, go to ChristCenterCapital.com. Use promo code TCMS2022. The first 50 people who do so get a free subscription. We want to thank Mark Lozano and Christ Center Capital for being a sponsor of The Catholic Man Show. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan, special guest Dr. Brian Bisong. We're talking about lying. And what level of hell I'm going to? I'm lying to a Dr. Henderson and a deacon. A deacon, yeah. Was. yeah. You like lied basically to Jesus. <laughs> that is unfortunate. Yeah. You shouldn't have done that. Mia culpa. So, before we like. I want to keep asking you questions about yeah. this particular story because sure. I think it's, it serves as a good a good story. Yeah. Um, but let's. Okay. We, did you finish laying out? You know the whole like the basic premise about. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's lay that out before yeah, we keep like going the, back. The fifteen to, second version yeah. is uh, that natural law says we always have to use our powers towards their natural ends. Uh, we have to use the structure that the power has built into it. Uh, the the structure that ordinarily achieves the end it's aimed at. So, um, you know, Catholic listeners will be familiar with the church's teaching on uh, sexuality. You know, the, the use of the sexual power should be aimed at procreation. Uh, and in a very similar way, the use of the communicative power should be aimed at revealing our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the basic idea. Now, one of the most important things here is, <clears throat> and for the discussion today, is that uh, circumstances and intention matter in natural law. But circumstances and intention can never change human nature. Right. And so if something, if an act frustrates human nature, it's intrinsically wrong. It's it's disordered. It can never be justified by circumstances. It doesn't make it grave matter per se. No, but no. But it is intrinsically, just mean yes. always, it's never, never okay. Right, that's right. It's always, a, you know, I would think of most lies as being only very slight perversions of human nature, only very slight frustrations of the appetite to reveal our thoughts. Uh-huh. Uh, so most of them are not grave in any way. At the same time, they are always wrong because they're always against human nature. And that, that's the essence of a natural law analysis of actions. Mm-hmm. So our, our powers, our appetites, as long as you know, they're, we need to keep them ordered towards their ends in right. order for our own flourishing. Yes, exactly. So I like to use the example of uh, you know, if I just decide I'm going to start eating and tasting my food with my eyes. It's like... People would say you shouldn't do. Even even an atheist would say you shouldn't do that. That's not good for you. Right. That's wrong. It's yeah. wrong of you to do. And it's like yeah. that's a that's a natural law claim mm-hmm. that because we know the the end of our eyes is for seeing. Right. And this is something that's going to damage the end of that powers powers of vision. Right. right. It's yeah, that's like right. can you imagine eating chips and salsa with your eyes? That you would, know, like it would burn <laughs> terribly. It would. It would. You'd you'd learn your lesson. You know, right. like pretty quickly. <laughs> really quick. So the same thing, you know, we just use that same uh, kind of analogy on speech. Right. Um, why is a lie bad? Well, because it actually thwarts our human flourishing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, but hold on. So let me push back just a little bit. Is it to reveal your thoughts or is it to reveal the truth? Well, I would say reveal your mind and your or thoughts your... Are, are part of your mind. Um, 
But, you know, you could understand a thought to be a judgment. And so a judgment is going to be uh, something that's truth apt. It's going to be something a preference can, even. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I could judge. Like, but I like chocolate ice cream. Yeah. You know, it's like. But that's it represents yourself. And so, you know, so I guess of, it is true still. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, so, you know, to use philosopher jargon, it's truth apt. It can be true. It can be false. Uh, but there's some things that are neither true nor false, like a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if I express a question, I'm expressing my mind. I'm expressing my inquiry. Even when we already know the answer, sometimes we want what our inquiry is really about is hearing that person say what the answer is. And so, you know, you might know that, you know, your daughter ate the chocolate cake. At the same time, you want her to say that she ate the chocolate cake. And so I I would say that a question, even when you know the answer to it, is still expressing your mind in this more general way. But whenever we judge something to be true or false, and we assert, we use that communicative power to assert our minds, the act of assertion is a sort of subcategory of communication. And so it's going to be the assertions that most people think of as our thoughts, or, or rather, what thoughts are expressed. Um, and so, and I think that that's, in, in ordinary conversation, it might constitute something like 75% of our communication is the assertions of our judgments um, and our thoughts. And so those are the conditions there is you always have to um, express in a way that's in keeping with your mind. Although, you know, as we talked about yesterday and is relevant to your joke example, um, amb- ambiguity is pervasive. So we're never going to be able to completely reveal our minds. We always have this element of saying something that could be open to multiple interpretations. Sometimes it's permissible to keep the ambiguity there. And sometimes we have a duty to speak up and clarify, you know, what, what it, exactly it was we were saying. So back to this, this story about Adam telling this joke. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought he was telling a real story. <laughs> to me, that doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like a lie because he didn't think that he was telling a true story. Yeah. He, and he didn't think that his hearers thought he was telling a true story. So even though like it was, I intended on them to at least think that this was a true story at one point in time. Yeah, it, like in the yeah. moment. Uh-huh. But that's, that's why you give like all these detailed examples yeah, yeah, yeah. and like here, you know, you so paint the still, picture. It still uh-huh. doesn't strike me as a lie because his mind had not been like he hadn't finished expressing his mind right. on this point yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So and and I, this is where so uh, Augustine and Aquinas follows him. Augustine defines lying as speaking falsely with the intention to deceive. And there, you didn't have the intention to deceive. Or did you? Or did I? Yeah. Like, temporarily, kind of. But. Yeah. Um, so, this is a, the so-called jocose lie. And there's, I would think that there's some significant debate on what constitutes a jocose lie. So, if you're saying something in a sort of a funny tone of voice, and it's very clear you're not saying something true, the funny tone of voice sort of takes away any assertive power that sure. y- the words otherwise have. But this is more interesting, right? Because you're kind of doing everything that's conventionally part of an assertion. But, you know, there's there's a sort of, <laughs> there's an amount of time that you have to take it all away, you mm-hmm. know, to deliver that punchline. <laughs> I love... <laughs> I, I I let too much mi- too much time well, lapse yeah, there. You no, know, but <laughs> that was just because you didn't know. You just it was just ineffective communication. Yeah, it, it, it just wasn't being a communicative direct communications right. well, director. <laughs> <laughs> I should really think about that. Yeah. <laughs> but we make mistakes. Yeah, you know, it's not that you didn't think that you'd clarified. It just didn't 
work. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You, you thought the punchline was enough. The, the right. funny end was like, was, well, then people know, okay, well, of course that couldn't have been true because it's, you know, it's too perfect. Right. Uh, and yeah. so much of this is going to be cultural. I mean, this happens yes. a lot when you're talking to someone from another culture, you yeah. know, who's in, maybe English is a second language or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, yeah. like you, they don't get the context or the reference like, or what do you mean you could eat a horse right exactly right. like that's, that's no weird you could not <laughs> you they, you do not know horses like what, what accent is this it's just foreign it's oh foreign. <laughs> you know like just a blanket but you foreign can you can accent. see them like I'll, i bet you a hundred dollars you cannot eat a horse you know like i'll i will provide the horse <laughs> and yeah cause like they think you're lying it's like mm-hmm. i'm not no you don't know what i'm saying yes right right yeah, and so I think that that's, it's a really important matter uh, for understanding what a lie is, is understanding how words are used, because it's not a private language. You know, uh, words are used externally, they have a public meaning, and even the sort of, not just individual words, but the whole phrases have public meaning. So, you know, the phrase, I could eat a horse, people understand that in a different way than literally, I could eat a horse. And so, you know, the phrase there, I could eat a horse, is just saying I'm really hungry, but people understand that. And so I think that's a really... Um, no, I'm not sure if that helps or hurts you because it seems like maybe yeah. what's going on as you asserted, um, but with some right. ambiguity. Uh, and I guess the question would be, so in, in natural law, you can leave that ambiguity insofar as somebody doesn't have a right to know more information. So you could just leave it kind of ambiguous and, you know, supposing that they didn't. Yeah, but that. OK, that didn't apply. To me, it's like, yeah. no, <laughs> I know. I, I don't think it is. I think you can even say this is a true story. And then when you hit the punchline, they now they know that's not a true story because you're just not finished with like giving all the context like that gives, you know, that says and fills in the meaning mm-hmm. of, of all the words. To me, like when you deliver the punchline right then, you know, like it's not like you let the person go, you know, for weeks, uh-huh. you know, thinking, which or- would be a funny joke, too. You know, like, <laughs> you know, you let somebody for days think there's something that's not true is it was reality and then you you know you know break it on them later in front of a bunch of people that would be hilarious you know i'm sure you could come up with a really (laughs) funny situation but you know i think you couldn't say i i don't think it would be permitted to say this is a totally true story unless you said it in kind of a funny way like this is a totally true story please listen carefully uh you know something where where it's too weird to ordinarily accompany a true story uh because i think that if you say this is a true story listen up and the the audience is now going to say, okay, well, as they as they listen, they're going to form judgments that this is all true as it goes. I think if you just started with a story like this in a, a state of ambiguity, you deliver the punchline. Um, for me, I would probably add, all right, that didn't really happen, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you know that that might be just be being especially careful. You know, as right. somebody who thinks about lying, you know, I might be more careful than others. Uh, I don't know that it's morally necessary to add that last bit. Just given the context of the the situation, you know, most opening jokes mm-hmm. with a punchline aren't true, and right. and most people, most people that are going to hear it. Are. So you think that if you say like, "Oh, this is a true story," and then you tell the joke uh-huh. and then deliver the punchline, and it's obvious, it's like obvious, it's not a true story. You know, like that was a funny joke. You think is it you I, you would count that as a lie? I, I think that the adding "this is a true the story," saying "this is a true story," unless part, the punchline is itself about the line "this is a true story." I would think that that's that a person's going to think unless they know you. Yeah. Right. And and in which case, you know, if they know you and they know that most of your jokes start with this. Is a true if you story, say this is a true story. <laughs> most right? of the yeah, time exactly. before you deliver these whoppers. Which I do. <laughs> true story. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. 
uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose in that context, right? It's just like convention that uh, they know. All right, all uh-huh. right. Okay, David's spinning one. I could see that. Yeah. So, um, I think what the big crux of the matter, like the big issue that people have hangups with, is this uh, the idea of deception. Yeah. Um, and I think that I see that in myself. You know, growing up, I kind of had this thing, which we'll have to get to on the other side of the break, but that. Lying is wrong because it deceives, mm. right? Like, and so it's hard to mentally to get past that notion. It, you know, because it's like, yeah, that's what I've thought my whole life. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we get back into the on the other side of the break, let's talk about deception. Yeah, it sounds like you've been lied to. I have been, and it hurts. <laughs> we'll be right back. Dave and I have said this on the show before, that if you want to take your prayer life to the next level, you need to have an hour of adoration every week. But sometimes in adoration, you're not really sure what to do. You're not sure what to pray. You're staring up at the Lord, wondering what He's wanting to say to you. If you're trying your best to have a relationship with God and know that it requires the time, but not sure what to do in that time, go to excess90.com slash TCMS. And you can download a mobile-friendly guide of how to make a holy hour. Whether you want to pray a daily holy hour or hit up adoration once a week, there is a guide from the makers of Exodus 90 specifically on a, about how to make a holy hour. So go to Exodus90.com TCMS, download your mobile-friendly guide, so that way you can grow closer to our Lord. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. We're going to Ireland. We're going to Ireland in September. We want you to come with us. Go to thecatholicmancho.com. I think we're about halfway full. About halfway full right now? Yeah. Um, so, we'd love for you to come. Yeah. So, we've been really only promoting it for like three or four weeks. Right. We're, halfway we're still full. months away, so I think that we'll probably fill up pretty soon. We're in Ireland. So, we're uh, starting in Dublin and then going west and then coming back around, hmm. uh, coming south, back down yeah. through Cork up and, and back to Dublin. Wonderful. Yeah, so uh, Father Sean Donovan awesome. will be uh, with us. We're going to be able to say, uh, have mass on one of the, the rocks, the Irish rocks out there. Like, wow. Um, and he's going to say mass every day for us. Uh, we're going to go to Our Lady of Knock. I think we're going to do the mm. traditional liturgy on the rock, right? Yep, tra- yep, a traditional Latin mass uh, there. And then um, we're going to go to like a, like Dirty Nellies and things like that, which is like a well-known pub mm. that's like the Irish folk dance. Like, nice. Like, it's going to be awesome. So it go is. to thecatholicmancho.com, join us in September um, to go to Ireland. So here with Dr. Brian B. B- song talking about lying. Uh, before the break, Dave, we're, you were... You know, well, I want to get into deception, and yeah. I think mm-hmm. we might even have to recover some of the stuff we talked on the on in the between. break. Yeah, yeah, because that was some... Guys, if you're just listening to the podcast, make sure to... Uh, or if you're listening to us on the radio, make sure to subscribe on the podcast. Yeah. So you can get all of the stuff. Right. Because sometimes the best stuff accidentally happens between, between segments. segments. Oh, it's gold. Yeah. It's gold. <laughs> so, um, this idea of deception. Yeah. Uh, the, like, I, I had to, in my own mind, like, just st- say, all right, stop. Let's separate some things out here. Yeah. Um, deception, in many cases, is fine. In fact, might be the morally... You might even have like a moral uh, duty yeah. to deceive in, in some in some cases, um, right? Like war or 
Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's, there's mm -hmm. just you could think of, I think, many situations where someone asks you an inappropriate question. Yeah. Um, and it just mm -hmm. wouldn't, it wouldn't be appropriate to answer that question. Yeah, sure. Um, and and it's also it may be socially inappropriate to call them out for asking a terrible question. Right. right. And so you're stuck in the situation where you can either point out the terribleness of the question, right. nor answer it truthfully. Yeah. And so, so natural law, I think what we were talking about earlier about the pervasive ambiguity of language, uh, you know, it sees in the ambiguity of language something unavoidable, but also something that we can, you know, leave in. Uh, so there's a, an idea that's often called mental reservation. And the, the idea is that it's permissible to reserve to our mind the complete expression of our thoughts. Now, although sometimes people who try to attack the natural opposition uh, attack this idea as just lying by another name, one should see this as like actually a pervasive feature of human existence and human communication. We never reveal our whole minds to another person. Right. I mean, they, they don't have mm -hmm. the time. And it's so not possible. It's not possible. Yeah. So, you know, it's not lying by another name. It's just a pervasive feature of any truthful expression at all, because even the most truthful and precise communication is open to multiple interpretations. There's ambiguity there. And so, you know, it's not as though natural law or any view is going to have to say, oh, you're going to have to sit them down for a good, you know, three days to explain exactly what you mean by I'm fine today. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, so the idea that ambiguity is always there, it's, it's something that's, that's pervasive and permissible. I think this is a starting point for understanding mental reservation because some expressions are more ambiguous than others, but they can still have a natural, truthful understanding given the, the um, ordinary, you know, um, uh, conventions of language and the, the phrases use. So, um, you know, to use the example, and, you know, we talked about this in the break, but when someone says, how are you doing today? And you say, I'm fine. Um, you know, in that tone of voice, maybe it doesn't sound so great. Fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Just, just leave just me alone. Keep going. Yeah. Hey, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. So are you really I'll fine? I'll for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So, um, you know, and it, with a certain tone of voice, I'm fine sounds, no, you're not fine. Right. Yeah. We need help. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, you know, so like the, the idea that um, we can express ourselves with some ambiguity uh, and that sometimes we know the other person has come to the wrong conclusion and we can let it be. And that's the idea that mental reservation suggests is that, um, you know, what we've done is allowed them to fall into an error. And is that morally permissible? And natural law says, yes, when insofar as the person who has been deceived uh, has come to the wrong conclusion, uh, is not someone who has a right to know otherwise. Now, there's there's a sort of a few elements here. The first is communication itself has to always be an accurate expression of your mind, but accuracy varies by degree, right? So there's more accurate, there's more precise, there's less accurate, less precise. Um, but you know, accuracy can still be present. You know, so if I say I'm good, I've really like, how are you? I'm good. I've expressed almost nothing. You know, but I have expressed something. Mm -hmm. I'm not dying of a bullet wound, right? Mm -hmm. I, I there's a, there is some things that you can truthfully take from. I'm good, um, and so you know, insofar as those things you can take from I'm good are true or accurate representations of your mind, you have truthfully expressed your mind. Even right. if you are suffering from you know um, major depression, saying I'm good 
can still be truthful. Even if you're like actively dying, you could be like, I'm good, man. Like, <laughs> Just leave me. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, leave, I'm, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, it really, it means almost anything. Yeah, that's right. And, but I think, you know, if it was completely lacking any information from your mind, there, there could be something there that's, that's um, dubious about it. Um, but anyway, to, to get to deception, right? The, the idea that we can speak truthfully with some ambiguity and we can let another person who has no right to know otherwise fall into an, a mistake. I think that's a, you know, sometimes people get scandalized by that, that idea. You know, we were talking about this yesterday. It's like, uh, sometimes people are totally willing to lie to the Nazi at the door. They think no problems. Yeah. Just tell them yeah. there's no Jews in the attic and, and they're, they're off on their way. But to say something like, are you crazy? Why would I have Jews in my attic? Uh -huh. Yeah, that, that seems like a crazy idea. You'd kill me. Well, you haven't said anything false there. It's a totally truthful evasion. Um, but people can be sort of scandalized at the idea. People who would find lying totally plausible could find that idea uh, dubious, like something right. morally funny, even though they're fine with lying. Yeah, just the idea that you would use the truth to deceive. Right. Uh, I do think, yeah, people seem to be scandalized by that idea. And I kind of could, I can kind of sympathize with that a little bit, that it does seem strange. You either straight up lie or you tell them the brutal right. honesty. Yeah. Yeah. But after your talk yesterday, just talking to some other people, like there was a hang up about, you could just tell like, uh, it just didn't feel right <laughs> to deceive with the, with the truth. Right. But lying to them just straight to their face, like, no, that was totally fine. In fact, you know, like, Yes, what a hero, you know, <laughs> right. like for, you know, saving the Jews. Yeah, right. You know? But it's just funny. You know, and this has a, a long history, mental reservation. So, uh, you know, I, I will use the example of Athanasius, who, uh, you know, was uh, being uh, hotly pursued by Roman uh, officials and they wanted to kill him or execute him uh, or at least exile him. And uh, so they're, they're in a boat, they're going down the river and uh, they, they sort of get out of view of the Roman officials and Athanasius instructs his followers to turn the boat around and to sort of paddle slowly back. And so then the Roman officials stop them and they say, have you seen Athanasius? And they said, yes, he's not far. And of course, the Roman officials take that as he's not far up the river and uh -huh. speed away. And of course, Athanasius is uh, free for another day. And, you know, you've got a deception by the truth. And, and it seems a studied deception, right? Uh, Athanasius, St. Athanasius. Is intentional. To, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It seems yeah. like what other reason would they have to speak the truth in that way, except that the ambiguity of the expression is likely to lead them to error, and that's what they want. That's their end goal, and this is the means they're using to uh -huh. achieve that, that end goal. Now, in a natural law analysis, you know, to, to analyze this idea of, well, there's something wrong with that, using the truth for... Um, not getting the other person to believe the truth. I mean, natural law, what you're doing is you're trying to satisfy your human nature and, and human nature is inclined naturally and unavoidably to speak our minds. And I think that lots of people, like if you've ever had that experience where you've just been like burying something and burying it, and then it just, you feel like you have to explode and say what you've been thinking. You know, that, that idea that we need to reveal what's in our heads, that it's just a sort of basic need of ours, basic appetite of ours. I think that's very plausible. Lots of people have had that experience. Um, so that's part of our human nature. It can't be thwarted. 
we should do it in all of our communications. We should be revealing our minds, even to the Nazis at the door. Um, at the same time, there's also this social element that other people sometimes, uh, given their own pursuit of happiness, need information from us in order to be successful in their pursuit of happiness. Now, the Nazi at the door has no right to know because the information is not essential to his happiness. It doesn't help his happiness. In fact, that information frustrates his happiness. If he was ignorant on that point, he'd be better off, uh, given his malicious will. So, you know, the, the social element there is missing. This right to know is missing. And so, you know, satisfying that craving, that inclination to, to use the power of communication towards its natural end, that's something we still have to do, even when the social element is missing. But since the social element is missing, we can be a little bit less frank or brutal or, um, you know, just straightforward in our explanations while still satisfying that part of our human nature. Yeah, but do you think that's why people have an issue with this whole carte blanche, like lying, like this principle that you have, like, let's just, lying is, not you personally, yeah, but, yeah, but, sure. but, but lying is always inexcusable. You should never lie. Yeah, is well, this why you. Is that why uh, they have this issue with laying this principle down always because this ambiguity of this broad mental reservation to yeah. the narrow, uh, you know, uh, mental reservation. It's like, are you really, are you splitting hairs here? Like, yeah, yeah. I think that's why I th some people, it seems like, has an issue with applying this pr principle carte blanche. Yeah, and okay, so so at, at first glance, the view that lying is always wrong has a, an elegant simplicity. So in, in theoretical explanations, anytime you've got something that's very simple, that can explain a lot, that's got something going for it. It's simplicity is a deciding factor as sort of um, people who might be familiar with Occam's razor. Yeah. Um, you know, here's a good way to put the idea. Other things being equal, and that's not of often true, but when other things are equal, simplicity is important. Simplicity is decisive and the simplest explanations are usually the best. The lying is always wrong has a sort of simplicity here, but then you start introducing this idea of ambiguous truthful uh, expressions and you get this distinction that you know some of your audience might be familiar with between broad mental reservation which is a sort of mental reservation I've been defending versus something called narrow mental reservation which is like trying to give the words a different meaning than they actually have so um, when you ask me a yes or no question I'm gonna say the answer is yes but what I mean in my mind by the sound yes is the meaning no and i've just made up a new word's meaning and i've given you my new word yes yeah. which is like yes star which really means no uh you know that's the reason why that's wrong is because words don't take their meaning from our minds not exclusively they have a public meaning and the public meaning just absolutely doesn't correspond right um, so anyway, back to the, the idea is like, well, this gets all kind of like muddy and complicated private languages versus public languages. Isn't that simplicity all sort of going out the window? Well, I mean, at, at first glance, you might think the answer is no, but then you have to look at the alternative views, right? Where lying is permissible, uh, when, and that's really where things get much, much muddier. Um, and so I would say that the two most popular explanations of when lying is okay. Uh, one comes from the 16th, 17th century uh, natural lawyer. He was not a Catholic, but a Protestant Calvinist, uh, Hugo Grotius. So Grotius defends this view that you can lie whenever the other person does not have a right to know. 
Now, it's ordinarily presented in a very simplistic way, just like that, when they have a right to know. He has a sort of interesting theory about when other people have a right to know. But for simplicity's sake, we'll just keep it there. Um, you know, you can lie when the other person has no right to know. Take out the, the whole human nature element, and it's just the right stuff. Uh-huh. This gets weird. Um, according to his view, taking out the, the more interesting uh, view on rights... I can just walk up to people in the grocery stores and, and tell them random things that are completely false. You know, I can, I, my uncle's Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Um, I can deadlift 800 pounds. You know, the, the, these are things that I could walk up to anybody in the grocery store and tell them truthfully. I could even tell Juan this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think he has a right to know. Right. Yeah. I could deadlift 800 pounds on the moon. Nice. Yeah. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> I have no idea. Because I think that would be like 100 pounds. Yeah, I think that it's like one eighth, one eighth the gravity. Moon rocks. Yeah, nice. so I'm pretty sure I could. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I could. <laughs> I know for Definitively. a fact. Yeah, I know for a fact. I've basically done it. But don't you think that like the hang up because they have this? Oh, it's like that's you're just lying. Yeah. You're still lying, right? But I think it becomes back to the fact that we still are crossing our our wires that. It's the deception is the bad part. Yeah, right. And it, I think if we get it straight that lying is uh, is wrong because it is, uh, uh, you know, it's disordering a faculty of the human person. Right. First and foremost. That's why it's wrong. It's yeah. not, it has nothing to do with whether someone's deceived. Well, I think it, it has a secondary element because, you know, like if uh, so, I think first and foremost, lying is wrong because it disorders the human person. Uh, it takes a human power and sends it in a different direction than human right. flourishing. It's suggests. just like eating, putting chips and salsa in your eyes. Yes, that's right. Um, but then the secondary element is the social element because we see that other people need to know those things and their their satisfaction of happiness involves our saying right. what's true. I agree. And so, you know, the first and foremost is that's n- the, the first part is never going to change. No lie, no matter the circumstances, a million lies are at stake. No lie changes the fact that I'm disordering my own human person. Right. That it can't change your nature. Yes, exactly. Right. And so that's where the fixity comes from is the fixity of human nature. But then the circumstances do matter. So, you know, if a police officer is questioning me about a violent crime that took place in my neighborhood and I'm the sole witness... And the person who could... Whoa. The intro music, the cutoff didn't play. Okay. So That's no problem. Let's stop. Let's pretend we stopped the segment. Okay. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Adam Minahan, and this is David Niles from The Catholic Man Show. And we are so excited because we are going on pilgrimage to Ireland. We're going this September, September 15th through the 24th. We're going to go to some amazing Catholic places in the country. As you know, the Catholic tradition in Ireland is so deep and rich. And while we're there, we're also going to be visiting some distilleries, if you can even imagine that, you know, us, the Catholic Man Show. So we're going on basically a (laughs) cathedral and distillery pilgrimage to Ireland, it's going to be awesome. And and because we're going on a, a distillery tours that are not typical for the tourist, Dave, we're not taking a bunch of people. We're not taking 60 people. We're not taking 50 people. We're capping this off at 30 people because we want to be able to That's have it. it. We're, we want it to be intimate. We want it to be able to uh, go to places that normal tourists don't get a chance to go to. Uh, so go to selectinternationaltours.com slash Catholic Man Show for more information. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan and Dr. Brian Bisong. We're talking about lying, which is a difficult thing to talk about. Been lying a lot lately. Lying a lot lately. Really great. <laughs> and a lot of fun. Um, so we were just talking about like you know, lying is wrong. Firstly, because it goes against the nature, uh, you know, our human nature, right? Um, which cannot change, no matter how heavy the stakes, no matter how important or crazy the situation, right. you're human, you're still be human. Your nature yes. will be unchanged, and therefore, it is wrong to abuse the faculties of our human nature. Right, that's right. Yeah. And then, beyond that, there's this social con- construct. Yeah. So, it I just seems to me like when you get that, and you get that straight, and mm-hmm. don't let these wires cross in your mind, right. that then it doesn't actually matter the whole, like, oh, deception. Well, that's just like a lie. It's like, mm-hmm. No, it isn't, because... A lie is a falsehood, and right. a, me- a more mental reservation is not a falsehood. It might be ambiguous. Right. I think it's sort of like um, comparing using NFP to to birth control. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of have mentioned that. I've heard you use that analogy, but I think it's right. very fitting because people yeah. will also say NFP is just Catholic birth control. Yes, right. that's right. We're and getting that, to the same end. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and and the means matter, and that's that's the difference. Is the means matter. Uh, so in the the uh, means of contraception, right, you're intentionally frustrating the the way the power works. Uh, uh-huh. And with natural family planning, you're just abstaining when, you know, the it would be very successful. Right. I'm just refraining from right. giving all the truth. Right. right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it, that's a very good analogy. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think maybe one of the things that people get caught up with is the knowing that the other person's going to come to the mistake. So I don't think many people have a problem with like, you know, um, grandpa telling the fishing story where the fish just got a little bit bigger, but not so much as to be straightforwardly false. Yeah. And I don't think anybody's going to think that liar, you know, grandpa is such a liar. Yeah. Assuming that, it, you know, we're not talking about like a, a uh, minnow just became, you know, a barracuda. Right. Um, you know, if, if it just got slightly larger, people are going to think, well, it's still sort of within the realm of possibility, within the realm of truth, because there's ambiguity and memory and um, and what these words mean. You know, are your grandkids really going to take that as a literal measurement when right. it's just your hands? Uh, yeah. And so anyway, the, the idea that I think most people are totally fine with that sort of ambiguity, that sort of like kind of false but kind of true. No one's going to point that out as lying. Right. But then when you do it knowingly, you know, and and that's where people are a little bit funny, is like that end of deception to know that the other person's going to come to a mistake. That seems to be the funny business. Now the funny thing is, for most of those people, they're also the sort of people who think you can lie. Um, and so the other person's coming to a mistake doesn't seem to be an intrinsic problem. Uh, after all, they're intentionally lying to them, right? Or they defend intentional lying. Um, and so I guess for those people for whom, uh, you know, that intentional deception uh, is a problem, I guess the, the question is why? What You know, if, if you defend lying in those cases, why is their being deceived something fundamentally important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I yeah, don't have exactly. an answer for it. I, I, I just think this is the well, question it's not. I have I to mean, answer. It's like, it's okay to deceive people sometimes. And, yeah. Um, so... Here's, this is. I want to ask you this question. Uh, like the stereotypical Nazis at the door. Yeah. You have Jews in your attic. Yeah. Um, can you, can, okay. Because, like, let's say uh, someone who's very, like, let's say he's very stupid. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be very good at doing this whole mental reservation thing. Yeah, they, no Jews. No. Right. Just go right. away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But let's say you are someone who has practiced yeah. the art of mental reservation. Yeah. 
and the Nazi comes to your door, you know for a fact mm-hmm. I can deceive him yeah. truthfully. Yeah. And he'll think I don't have I'm telling him I don't have any Jews here in my house. Yeah. Um, and he'll be satisfied and leave. Yeah. Um, obviously telling the truth, there's no moral problem. Right. Certainly not if it's either if it's a dichotomy of tell the truth or lie. Yeah. If you have if you have certainty mm-hmm. of this other power to deceive, mm-hmm. do you have a moral obligation mm. to deceive him with the truth as opposed to simply reveal the like revealing the truth to him? If in that situation, if is it morally wrong to say, Yes, I have Jews in my attic? Mm. That that's a question I don't have an answer for. I, I'm inclined to say no. But I don't have a reason why. It's just my gut instinct is to say I can't think it's a moral obligation to deceive someone. Uh, I think permissible. My my gut tells me permissible only, but I don't have an argument. I would. It feels to me, and that's a bad. You know, it's a bad indicator. Yeah. Like you know, this is not how we do morality about fe- based on feelings. But it, it it seems like it. It just seems like if you have this ability. Yeah. And you and you don't use it. I, it it seems to violate. I don't know the virtue of decorum or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Similar to like, hey, let me tell you all the details about my wife and I's love life. Yeah, okay, right. like, uh, no. you should not. There are some things that are wrong. It's wrong to reveal. Yeah. Right. Um. And so in this situation, it just seems like because I know I have this ability yeah. to deceive, to to be more prudent with the truth. We'll right, say. Right. Um. To reveal too much uh is an excess it right. seems and and could be even sinful yeah I, can, I mean i could see the argument there and i i my question isn't is it the right thing to do to just tell him what's what's going on but rather just remaining silent um and i don't know that that we would be obligated to um you know kick in our our deceptive powers over silence um i i guess I could see it other way. Yeah, the question is not whether you remain silent, but yeah. it, would it be wrong to just come out and say, yeah, I have Jews in my attic? Oh, of course, that's wrong. Yeah. yeah. That's, if you know I could simply... And that's just going to kill them. And right, me, exactly. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. That, that would be a bad thing to do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that yes, seems, that's what I think, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah that seems pretty like, straightforward. Thanks, dude. For, <laughs> you know. We went over this. Like, right. <laughs> like, there was like three other There's, addicts right, on exactly, this like, street. Yeah. I could have just like kept going you know uh yeah no that at least remain silent yeah but uh but certainly don't just i mean if you're someone who's practiced i know i have the ability to deceive right and Uh, and that's not the only uh case where you know not spilling the beans is a moral duty you know people who are you know in the intelligence services you know you have access to information uh that's unique extremely sensitive or the sacrament of confession you know yeah exactly right 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 so you can't spill the beans there um although that's that is a matter of canon law rather than um i I don't think that the sacramental theology requires silence but as a matter of canon law we enforce it right but it would be it it would be it would be immoral to violate yes that's right that's right because the authority of the church right right so but yeah you know i um, all of these cases uh, involve a duty to at least remain silent, although sometimes silence is itself an answer. Exactly. So that's, right. that's the tricky part. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, I, mean, I can see people being like, if, you, if the guy says, you have any Jews in your house, <laughs> you just, just stare, stare at, at him. him. Like, okay, guys, come on in. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then, like, you know, sometimes when people get nervous, 
obviously by remaining silent, they yes. maybe like nonverbal, like maybe they turn red or they right. start sweating or right. like, you know, they, their eyes get big, or, you know, yeah. uh, which is an answer. Right. That's right. Although I should also add that people are terrible liars in general, uh, except people who have maybe are on the spectrum of sociopathy. And so, you know, sociopaths, psychopaths are really good at lying. Um, but most people are not really good at lying and they will, you know, they will do little things that people who are, um, you know, experienced investigators, experienced interrogators will pick up on. Mm -hmm. And so the best bet for subterfuge is not to lie. You know, and I think this is something that most people who are advocates of lying don't realize is that lying may actually be a less practical solution because people are not good liars mm -hmm. because it's going against human nature. Um, and so it may be better to have a studied evasive response that you've sort of prepared ahead of time because the studied evasive response is true and you can say it, you know, with your eyes wide open and, you know, with a, a sort of honesty of conscience. And that's not going to feel like a lie even to an experienced interrogator um, because you're saying what's true. Now, you might be nervous, but an experienced interrogator would know, you know, <laughs> I'm an experienced interrogator. Mm -hmm. Everyone's nervous when I start asking them questions. Sure, right. Yeah. So, like, with my children, whenever I, ha like, handle questions about, like, a certain a certain uh, dude who comes in, like, in December, mm. what I'll tell people when they ask me questions, they'll say, well, people say mm -hmm. that this yeah about him mm -hmm. and people people say do he... say those things you know and <laughs> now like, I, th I think this is a mental reservation that's not defensible i think you, they have yeah, a duty you might to you know. might be right because like it all comes back to the fact that i did lie about it at some point <laughs> i mean like <laughs> right just sort of kicking the can there right yeah so i think you can kick the can insofar as the person hasn't made a judgment yet like the the joke example before like i think people are sort of like waiting if you leave them in the you know, you leave them completely in the view that this is true. Well, you know, that's, that's enough time for them to form a judgment. And that's really, I think, the, the thing that's most important to assertion. Like the we, we know that there's this like window of opportunity to clarify what assertion is. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think we owe it to some people to clarify. And so remaining silent in uh, those cases, mental reservation is not justified when they have a right to know. And I think our kids have a right to know um, that he doesn't see us when we're sleeping he doesn't know when we're awake mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's only god that uh saint, knows when we've been bad or good so parents could drop this saint nicholas does know those things he could, he could. through the beatific vision yeah, he could but, but not all the information about the earth is revealed on the beatific vision only what's relevant to the saints yeah but mm -hmm. he could know those things he could yeah, mm -hmm. but that's not the point of that's not that's not the deceptive part, you know, or the the lie, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. But but I think children have a right to know where their gifts are coming from. They have a right to know, you know, like how the world works. You know that they're not magical beings that you know ordinarily on, on a routine basis deliver gifts. And I think most parents realize there's a sort of danger in Santa Claus, and so far as like. Why can't he bring me two horses mm -hmm. or two ponies? Why is there limitations here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. If he's going to well, everywhere in the world in one night, why is there limitations? I'll tell on you why. Gifts. I'll tell you why. You weren't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening to this on the radio, go check out our podcast, thecatholicmantra.com. We're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Brian B. Song. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass and cheers to Jesus. Okay, so I want to like throw out a you know parental disclaimer. I want to keep mm. talking about this for just a, a minute. Okay. Uh, so like 
parental disclaimer. If you're uh, we, we are no longer going to veil our language. Mm. Right. Um, uh, so what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? Like, because you have kids. Mm-hmm. I just told them they're, people say they're Santa Claus and there isn't. There's, yeah. So do they, are? will they like not ruin it for their friends? You know? Like, because that's, the, that's an, yeah. and then you get people who are really mad. Oh yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I've, I've told my daughter who's older, by the way, my daughter is the most enthusiastic anti-Santa Claus person that I've ever met. She, she wants to record a video of her on YouTube for me to share with my students who get mad at me about my telling my daughter that there's no Santa Claus. She wants to record this so that I can send it to my students, um, telling them that they should never do this. It's a terrible idea to lie to your kids and that the world is not a better place with Santa Claus around. Um, yeah, she's like at dinner time randomly, she'll say, Daddy, did you tell them that they should never lie to their kids about Santa Claus? I'm like, I'll, I'll get to it. You know, <laughs> like that wasn't today's lesson. Uh, See, uh, like this is something I I like Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, I think it's maybe nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I some people have a bad experience, like when they when they learn that about Santa that there's I was no one Santa of those, Claus. Those kids. Maybe this has pushed me to natural law. Yeah, see, I was one of those kids who like found out late, and you know. I think that's. A, I think that is. A, that is. A, it is important when when they find out. Right, because yeah. I don't know. I just love the. It, it adds so much mystery. It adds it's it literally is like adding magic, which I think uh, like this sort of wonder and creative like thinking and like is so great for little kids. This explains a lot about you. Yeah, <laughs> I like it real. Straight yeah, real. Well, the thing is, like, it is real. Not that it's not a lie. Yeah. I, I understand. It. Yeah. But, um, you know, did St. Did St. George really fight a dragon? Yeah, right. Uh, no, mm-hmm. but it's a good, it doesn't mean that the story is not true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. True in like, a different sense. Exactly. You don't have yeah. to tell children that lie, that dragons exist. They know that dragons exist. Yeah. What they, the point is that they need to know that they exist in order to be vanquished, right? Mm-hmm. That like, that there are these mythical, like those realities aren't actual, Yeah. but doesn't mean they're not real. And so right. how do you express these things to children? I think Santa Claus is like... A really good way of and children are teaching drawn to that. a certain thing. Yeah, I do. I do ex- acknowledge that it is objectively lying. You're asserting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the words mean something. Right, exactly. And I do. I do see that, uh, and I understand that these things do not go together. Right, but um, yeah. this is. I think this is like one of the problems. I, I, I'm guessing I'm not alone. Yeah, in. Uh, that people might push back on the whole thing about lying. Could like Santa Claus alone? It's, it's not. Like, no, it's not the Jews in the attic. No, it's Santa it's Claus. Like, Santa I get it. Santa. Actually, like yeah, I understand. Let yep, the whole Jew thing, not a problem. <laughs> gotcha. When that happens to me, I'll yeah. know how to. I'll know how to do it. I'll be Mr. Evasive. But like, if you tell me that I have to ruin Santa Claus for my kids, I will fight <laughs> you, sir. You know, like <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, I, I've never had that inclination because I was one of the people who got burned from that. You know, like I, I would debate people like, no, my parents would never lie to me. What? Of course he exists. You know, and then finally they they got around to, mm. to telling me, uh, you know, months later. I still remember it in fifth grade because I had had a debate, you know, months previous with some kid. You know, of course he exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that if you separate the religious aspect from from Santa Claus and the whole Christmas like moment, uh-huh. then 
it becomes a much more malicious. The lie, the lie is it's more pernicious and like it affects you more deeply. Yeah. Uh, because when you uh, like when Santa Claus is enrobed in religious symbolism and meaning, mm-hmm. um, when kids find out he's not real, they don't feel lied to. I, I don't. I think might because is more there likely is a truth in the right, neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. Like, okay, this is what I was. This is what Santa Claus teaches us. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, okay, I see. You know, like although you know, I would say that of all the once uh, again, it's still objectively lying. I do get that. <laughs> I would I would say that of all the analogs that the angry atheist crowd will point to uh, when they talk about belief in God, it, the number one is Santa Claus. And so, you know, what they what they'll say is, you know, this is a sort of noble lie from authorities. And so the closer it gets to, you know, so Plato had this idea that the the authorities could lie to us for noble reasons in order to get us to do things the the right way. Um, He expresses this in the Republic. Yeah. Um, And that idea of the noble lie has never gone away. So, um, you know, the, the idea that parents could also do these sorts of noble lies or church figures could have noble lies like. Um, you know, maybe the existence of hell is a noble lie to get us to do the right thing. And, you know, God would never really send us to hell forever. Um, you know, that that idea, it, if, if you begin to see the permissiveness of noble lies, lies that have good benefits, um, it's a door that opens to much, much more. And this is like the other theory. So that he, it was Grotius and then consequentialism. And this is the consequentialist idea, mm-hmm. um, right? The, the idea that lying has these good benefits Um but once people realize that they've been lied to for some benefit, trust goes down substantially, I think. And so then they think, mm-hmm. okay, so here's a truth that has benefits. That must mean it's not really true, right? Here's, here's a claim that, um, you know, benefits these people. Well, you know, and I think this is kind of at the core of a lot of our so-called post-truth society or sort of, uh, um, what do they call this, deconstruction is who gets benefited like where is the money so to speak mm-hmm. um and their claims can't be true or false those claims are are not even worth evaluating it's just who benefits and it must be that you know that's the the source of the lie um so i think we should be really careful to always speak the truth even when it's got bad consequences uh or not lie even when it has good consequences magical consequences because i think it begins to erode trust that people have in things that they really should trust like the existence of God. Mm-hmm. So what about nonverbal? Yeah. Okay, so like uh, Nazis come to the door, do you have Jews in your basement, and you just shake your head, <laughs> like, you know, and dis- almost discuss. Is that yeah. a lie? I think that's a lie, yeah. You think I, it is a lie? Yeah, because I think shaking your head, no. I think it's communication. Yeah, it's I communication. Mean, yeah. yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I think that's no different than the sounds coming out of your, you know, like there's nothing special about the mouth and the tongue that allows its communication to be sort of preferred. It's just that that's the the chosen medium. It's easy to do that. It, uh, it's it's easier to do that than to, you know, sign with our hands. Uh, so right. that's just the, the mode we've chosen. When you see a dog shaking its head, no one thinks that it's communicating something. Right. But when a person does it because of our communicative faculty, yeah, people know I'm conveying the meaning which is the word no. Right. That's right. And of course, it's a convention. We could have chosen the opposite, shaking your head up and down. There are cultures yes. that do no. Bulgaria. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there's other gestures, thumbs up as, and, you know. Yeah, like, the peace sign means something totally different in other places. Yeah? What does yeah. it mean? It means bad. It's bad. Really? Mm. I didn't know this. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Like the backwards peace sign, like in mm-hmm. different cultures historically, has been more of like the middle finger. 
Wow. The backwards peace sign. What's it had something like to this? do with I, I don't I don't I don't know. I'm a, I was about to tell a story that it's like I have no idea if that's actually <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's what I've heard. You're gonna lie on this show. Well, We're not about on. No, it wasn't gonna be a lie because I believe that it is actually uh, a real thing, but. Mm-hmm. It could be wrong. <clears throat> Do you know St. Teresa was instructed by her confessor to essentially give Jesus the middle finger? No. Yeah. He, she was instructed what? to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of her you know, later I would confessors... would not have told her to do that. <laughs> yeah. Personally. It, it, it was... Uh, there's a gesture called giving the fig, which is was in Spanish culture. Uh, you, you, I yeah, guess, you make I it know, like the sign of a fig. Yeah, yeah, the fig. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, the, this is functionally the same as the middle finger in uh, today's you know American society, and so the confessor uh, demanded her, commanded her under obedience to give Jesus the fig every time he appeared to her, and she did. Uh, and Jesus, in fact, told her that she was doing the right thing because obedience. Yeah, obedience. Right. Why right. would he tell her to do that? Because he thought they were satanic in origin, um, and so that was something that Saint Teresa wrestled with with her confessors often okay. because everything in her experience indicated that they were authentic, um, you know, visions, but her confessor didn't believe her. So seems like there would be better ways to <laughs> come to that conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Well, it could also test her, right? Because if she's, um, manic or, you know, if, if, um, there's something about her that's off mental illness, um, her absolute insistence on obedience would be a great way to show uh, you know, this is sanctity, not, um, you know, seems like mania. It seems like you shouldn't do that. Though. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, you know, I'm like, not, I'm not defending it, but I can right, see psychologically like, There are certain maybe. things, it doesn't matter what your confessor commands you to do. Like, no, I'm not going to kill my mom, you know? Like, <laughs> right. I'm not, uh, not going to give Jesus the finger. Like, <laughs> okay, fix, so tell me to do something else. There's one more <laughs> thing that I, I, I'd like to talk about. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, there are some professions that require us uh to to deceive not only deceive but like to actually lie hot dog salesman hot dog salesman yeah yeah <laughs> all beef 100 percent beef hot dog salesman uh, uh it was near a cow at one point yeah <laughs> um you know there there are secret service there's you know people Un- undercover police undercover policemen yeah. mm-hmm. um who are not necessarily deceiving yeah. like like okay so deceiving is probably well, they uh, are umbrella, deceiving, but they're but outright it, lying. But they're outlying yeah, lying. Right, so right. they're taking it one step further and saying, yeah. uh, you know, that no, no, I am X. I am I'm I'm he's not saying I'm not something, but he's saying I am something else. Right. Um, yeah, that's right. To deceive. Yeah. So uh, I think that they shouldn't do these things. Now, you know, one of the things that's really worth talking about is how culpability comes into play in this conversation. So um you know, one of the, the parts of my uh, talk that I did yesterday was about how some of the patristic fathers have said lying in these circumstances is not just permissible, it's a duty. Um, and, you know, there's a handful of, of church fathers in the early period that defend lying. Um, and so the fact, and people know this, and people also have their intuitions about, you know, lying. And so, it, you know, if you're an informed Catholic and you realize, you know, like St. John Chrysostom defended lying, uh, lying, St. Ambrose defended lying, and okay, yeah, St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas didn't, and that became the consensus view, but come on, St. Augustine and St. Ambrose, you know, these are, you know, two great saints. Heavy hitters. Yeah, exactly. And so I could see somebody saying, okay, well, 
intellectually, I see the arguments against lying. I see how defenses of lying fall apart at the same time. Ah, maybe some other theories out there. And the Nazis are walking up the, the step right now. And so I could see a person in the, that situation having it as a legitimate moral option in their psychology to lie because they're in a state of innocent ignorance about the permissibility of lying. True, they don't see a great argument for it, but they do see, you know, very holy people that are, you know, sort of externally reliable. You know, you can generally trust what they say, and they say this. And so I would think that um, if you're an informed person, you, you've sort of realized that there's some debate about this, um, even if it's a consensus view against the lie, I could see you in that state, given the sort of lack of freedom, lying without a sin. That said, a lot has to do with the situation, right? The guns to your head or the Nazis are literally, you know, right. the door has opened. Um, we should never put ourselves in uh, circumstances that are sources of temptation, you know, near occasions of sin. And so what I would think is that a person who is, let's say, a good Catholic police officer who's been asked to do an undercover investigation into a, a violent gang that lives nearby, um, the person sort of fits the bill on uh, who would get into this gang um, and so they've been asked to do so and they, they could see great benefit because their, uh, you know, local area has just been really harmed by this gang. So they really want to do it. At the same time, they think to themselves, the chances that I'm going to have to lie through my teeth all the time are super high. They should say, I'm sorry, I've got to decline this. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's no other affecting circumstances that would diminish culpability. You know, they, they've got total freedom in the sort of cold circumstances of their office setting when they've been proposed uh, for this new opportunity. Um, they've got total freedom. They intentionally are putting themselves in circumstances where they know the only way I'm going to survive is by lying. Right. And so right. there's there's full intentionality there. And there's also I would, I would hope for knowledge that this is, in fact, wrong. Um, why is there knowledge that this is in fact wrong? Well, externally, the church has had large consensus on this view. In fact, if you look at uh, moral manuals from the early 20th century, uh, the possible permissibility of lying in, in rare circumstances is not even discussed as an opportunity or possibility. So the church really codified this, um, at least informally through the ethicists that are working within the magisterium um, there's never been a sort of doctrinal claim, an encyclical that has said this definitively. And people who are defenders of lies will point out that at one, one edition of the Catechism did briefly uh, endorse Grotius's theory of the right to know. It was retracted very, very quickly, um, and the Catechism on lying is, uh, you know, very strong against lying. Mm -hmm. So is it just be... <laughs> okay, I, mean, there, I think there's also, like, this more serious problems with being an undercover... You know, or agent of something I like the chances that you're likely be required to do drugs or right. at least be an accomplice to other crimes. I right. mean, like that's right. The fact that you have to lie is actually what towards the, the bottom of the yeah, exactly. Like so bigger problems. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. Right. So yeah, and, and maybe spies would not be as um, you know, it's, it's less likely that they'll say you know do this line of cocaine to to prove right. that you're not a police officer. Um, right. But a, but a and spy, even as a spy, the the chances of someone coming up to you and saying, "Are you a spy for the U.S. government?" Yeah, that's right. It's pretty low. Right, that's and right. It, it, if they're asking you, they already know. Yes, that's exactly right. right. Yeah, they're giving you an opportunity to fess. And that's and that's when you just like 
you know, be quiet and like, yeah. yep, you're going to arrest me. Even if it's I say, yeah. even if I say, yeah. no, gosh, I don't need, where would you get that idea? <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Let me just grab that thumb drive. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. thank you very much. Okay. So, but so spying couldn't, could be okay. Yeah. I think in so. this, in this aspect. Yeah. Undercover, undercover couldn't, is going to be an issue. That's going to be yeah, more problematic. Right. I think. And yeah. in war I settings, think right. I think yeah. if, if you're going to just straight up lie to an enemy, um, you know that, that deception in war is is quite common um, and and can be justified. But straight up lying is not going to be justified. And similarly, you know, we think about war settings, but in business settings, sometimes negotiators will feel like they're compelled to lie in order to get an advantage. So, you know, in one negotiation setting, let's say you've got a job offer from one, uh, you know, company, well, you might be able to bump that up by 5K a year by saying, look, I've got this second one, it's for the same amount of money, but it's in a location that I really, really prefer. Uh, do you think you can do anything to sweeten the deal? Chances that they'll lift it by a few K is, is pretty high, even if there's no second job offer. Because you could always still say, you know what, at the end of the day, I'd like this company more. So they, they would never call you out on it. And most of the time, they don't require you to sort of send the letter of um, offer, you know, sort of formal offer over right. to them to prove it. Mm-hmm. So there could be lots of advantages in lying in business settings and in business negotiations, um, maybe even more than spying. Yeah. But that would be wrong. If you had, if you were going to argue for the other side, if you're going to st- the yeah, steel I, man. I got to go. You keep, yeah. you keep going. Oh, uh, uh, this is the last question. Okay. Uh uh, if you were to steel man the other side, yeah, what 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 position would you take? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would probably. You know, it's really hard because natural law is so sort of built into the basics of natural law that you can't lie because it's just sort of one of the first applications of it. That I think if I were going to defend lying, I would probably have to drop an ordinary natural law analysis. Um, I would probably go the Grotius's route. The Grotius's route, um, but. But then it just leads me to this really muddy water moral theory. And so, you know, I, I would rather have a bright line on lying, which truthfully doesn't violate my intuitions about morality, mm-hmm. um, than to suddenly get this sort of, um, I don't know, terribly Byzantine moral theory that tries to get it to work, but does so with all sorts of problems. You know, it, it's got leaks all over the place. And, you know, trying to satisfy this makes it not work in so many other ways that um but i think probably grotius is the most promising route for a halfway plausible defense of lying okay awesome yeah man it's been a blast to talk to you i appreciate yeah. it so much yeah, thanks, for, thanks for thanks for coming on um how can they find out more about you okay so you can go to my website which is uh i didn't register a cool website it's bbsong.weebly.com uh or i've got an academic website so if you just google search me um yeah awesome we're on the lord's team the winning side so raise your glass hi this is bishop david condorla of the diocese of tulsa in oklahoma so let us pray remember O most gracious virgin mary that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help or sought thy intercession was left unaided inspired with this confidence i fly to thee O virgin of virgins my mother To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen.